Uh, yeah, so I hadn't thought of a little uh, quip for the start, um, so this will do. I am single, I did get drunk, I did buy Tinder Prime, and I fully regretted it, but yeah, here we go. <laughs> Little Nessie drove my nana to drink. Yeah, he sells Hot Wheels out of his jacket. <laughs> I'd like to think that he knew that John Terry was a huge Saturdays fan. And like Campbell's Soup is a, is, a, is a big deal. Pele is Jay from In Between Us. Luigi, don't quit your day job, mate. Who do you think is more handsome? Shall we answer? Pirlo. If you say it, say it with chest. Sorry, you just have to guess. Do you want to go to the toilet? You ever seen a baby pigeon? Uh, he's, he was good mates with Pablo Escobar from what oh. I read. Mara who, sorry? You're a pair of twats, you know that. Welcome back to Nostalgia FC Podcast with your hosts, me, Drew. And me, George. Uh, again, I'm not going to do the big spiel. This is a podcast for those people that just love football back when it was good and not ruled by the money that it is today. Right, so just quickly, I'm going to do a bit of an introduction. Uh, this is the podcast where we get a guest on who will give us their favourite starting eleven from uh, past and present, or just as obscure as they possibly can. We or don't the care. Future. Do you want them in your team? You can have them. Or the future. <laughs> Today's guest is a man known as Matt Bateman. I met him once I moved down to London. I uh, worked with him for a little bit, and now he is lucky enough to be on the West End performing in Pretty Woman in the Savoy Theatre. Uh, and he was... Uh, in Phantom of the Opera. I feel like I've got that wrong, but I don't think so. We'll see when Matt comes on. Well, let's find out. Matt, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you for having me. You, you are correct. You are correct. Um, okay, there you I, go. I was in Phantom. I am now in Pretty Woman. And yeah, thank you for having me on. So, Matt, who do you support? For anyone that isn't watching this, I am a huge, lifelong Stoke City fan, which... Comes with its tribulations. We've been rubbish for a good few years now. But, you know, we went through a great period kind of in the, the late 2000s. Um, I grew up in Stoke. I've always supported Stoke. It was either Stoke or Port Vale. And my dad is originally from Darlington. And he's a Darlington and United fan for his sins. Sorry, George. Um, but he, when he moved down to Stoke... Stick with Darlington, mate. They play better football. Um when he moved down to Stoke, he adopted Stoke as his team. So growing up, we used to go to the Victoria ground to watch him play. And yeah, I've, I've just, I've always been a massive football fan and Stoke's always been my club. But in, in a weird way, I quite like that we're not doing great, which is a really backwards thing to say. But Stoke losing always used to affect my mood. It always used to make, like, if we lost, it'd be like, it would be the worst day. And now that we're consistently quite rubbish, it's actually allowed me to kind of appreciate football more, where I just go, look, odds are my team's going to lose, so I can just watch football, especially the Premier League. I can just watch it and enjoy it and not be thinking how it affects my team. We're probably going to get mid-table championship, so I can just enjoy watching the football again. So, But yeah, lifelong Stokey. I've got the, the away kit for this season, which I absolutely love. This is the away kit from last season. Um, never thought I'd like a green away kit. But, you know, it takes a really, really good team to finish mid-table or United this season. Um, so, I'm just, yeah, big football fan. Happy to come on and talk about it. So, international-wise, England, I assume? Yes, indeed. Yeah. Yeah, for my sins. Um, we'll end the podcast there. Okay. <laughs> hey, you got the lionesses. You got the lionesses. Mate, what, yeah. what the lionesses have just done for football worldwide, 
because like I, I think it's incredible because I think it's also it is going to have a huge boost domestically and it's absolutely right it's like you know that that tournament was fantastic to watch doesn't matter what level of football you enjoyed the quality of football was brilliant you saw England beat insides 8-0 you saw them playing really good football and then in the best possible way you saw them having a celebration where they were all just enjoying life but not quite to the Jack Grealish stage where you couldn't understand them. Before we do anything, obviously we need to know your formation. Uh, yes, I have gone for a 4-2-3-1. 4-2-3-1. So four at the back, two central midfielders, two attacking wide players, a number 10 and a number 9. It's my football, football manager back, formation. Actually. I too. <laughs> It's a, it's a class, it's a solid formation. Yes, right, let's indeed. start at the back. Let's go. Let's start in goal. Who have you got? Yeah. So, in goal, I have gone for a player who was featured on your podcast a couple of times. Controversially, he plays for a club who has a goalkeeper who everyone says is better. I prefer this goalkeeper. So, this is basically my kind of players that have made me fall in love with football. Eleven. And in goal, I have gone for a Champions League winner, a multiple Champions League winner, um, Premier League winner, holds the world record for consecutive clean sheets, Mr. Edwin van der Sar. I think he is so underrated and he never gets put in the discussion with Schmeichel and I don't understand it. Because van der Sar, he won the Champions League won the Champions League at Ajax. He was fantastic at Fulham. And then he went to United and was the best keeper in the world. Like, has the world record for consecutive clean sheets. Previ- I've done my research. Previously held by Jose Maria Buljubasic. Yeah, he kept classic. a clean sheet for 1,311 minutes. Um, but th- there was just something about the way van der Sar played was just so appealing. And he like marshaled that defence. He, he He's just a legend. And he cost £2 million, which in what, like whatever era of football, if we're talking post Alan Shearer for £15 million, is an absolute bargain. It's and, you know, he's won eight leagues in his career, two Champions Leagues. He was UEFA goalkeeper of the year, PFA team of the year three times. The guy was unreal. Absolutely unreal. And then he's gone and been in charge of Ajax and like been in charge of the football operations there and has turned Ajax into what they've become, which is like the powerhouse of youth world football. Mm. The, yeah. the guy was just incredible and just a, a joy to watch. And like, unlike Schmeichel, to be fair, van der Sar did it international. He did it at Fulham. He did it at Ajax. He did it at United. Schmeichel was unbelievable at United and great for that tournament with Denmark. He was then rubbish at City, rubbish at Villa. Yeah. Like it, and that's why I would argue for me that I think Van der Sar is actually a better keeper than Schmeichel. I think it's the with, with the Van der Sar thing. I think he suffers from the fact that he played for Fulham. And that sounds and no disrespect to Fulham, but at the time and fair play, he did a lot for Fulham at the time also. But I think that club stature to go from Juve to Fulham and then on to United. That gap in the middle, sort of, not yeah. out of everyone's because no one in Europe is watching Van der Sar play for Fulham. Yeah, and, and no one, no one's ever going to say like most part. Yeah, no one's ever going to say the best goalkeeper I've ever seen play for Fulham. 
that they're just yeah. not. And and that no. isn't a di- it's like saying you know no one's going to say the best centre back they've ever seen is played for Stoke. It's just one of those where you just it doesn't matter who it is you're just not going to believe it. But yeah, th- there was just as a goalkeeper if I could pick any all time eleven favourite underrated best I'd I'd end up with Van der Sar. I just think he is he he was unreal absolutely and like I say you know fourteen consecutive clean sheets. You can't say much. You can't say much more. No. no. What's great as well, fun, great fact about him, he's the oldest player to ever win the Premier League. And also, like, I, I appreciate the fact that he, he didn't retire because of age as well, which makes me like him even more, because his wife was ill and he wanted to go and look after her. And that just makes him even more of a legend. Yeah. The image I have of Van der Sar is when uh, he was playing for United and he won the Champions League with them in the penalty shootout. The the image that always sticks with me of Van der Sar is pouring down with rain, and it just zooms in on him, and he's just pumping his arms, waiting for the rest of the team to come to him, and he's just you can see the absolute emotion in his face. But he deserved that win as well, like yeah. And it's the one, it's the one just in front as Anelka's hit that penalty, and he and he knows he's going to save it, and you can just see in his eyes, yeah, this almost like fury of going. There is no way that this ball is going anywhere past these hands. Yeah, what a man, what a man. It was great what, as well in, in, when they're lifting the trophy, the amount of players that accidentally tried to lift up Van der Sar's head instead of the trophy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 fair play. Oh, so, Drew, have you, have you got how old he was when he won the Premier League? Uh, yeah, he was 40 years and 205 days. There you go. There you go. I mean... The, the fact is, that's 10 years older than me. And he was still playing as an elite athlete at yeah. what was at the time arguably the best team in the world. That's absurd. I'd, I'd make noises when I get up off a chair and he was playing in goal <laughs> as an elite athlete. Like, <laughs> Right, before we get depressed about our, our, our fitness levels at our age, let's move on. Let's move forward into your defence. Right back is my only um, modern day player. So I was I was kind of going through Cafu, Gary Neville. I never really loved them. And George, I'm sorry, but I'm about to make Drew very, very happy. I'm going to write it down. Trent Alexander-Arnold has made me, he's made me fall in love with football again. I've not even written any stats down because just the fact of he's 23. This kid, so as an Englishman, you grew up with Beckham and his right foot. I think you've got James Ward-Prowse, who has comparable. Dynamo wishes he had a right foot that could work the magic that Trent does. When you've got a right back who's getting as many assists as Kevin De Bruyne, who... Is that like that Champions League semi final? There is no other player that saw that corner to Origi. And I like, I don't think everyone else would have just gone right, let's get the players in. Trent was on the ball. The way he plays is enthusiasm. The fact he's not changed his squad number from 66. I'm, I'm convinced that if I did this list in five years' time, he won't be at right back. Like, th- th- there's no way he finishes his career as right back. He's too good a footballer. Like he's going to I, end I really up... hope that he does 
because if he doesn't, we've made a massive mistake in selling Nico Williams to a nothing for us. I think he could do a Gareth Bale. Because we had this conversation, I think, recently. You said you think he could go from right back to right wing, whereas I yeah. was more thinking I think he'd be a great central midfielder. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like create that argument again. I'm just gonna say that that shows you how good yeah. a player he is and the fact that one of us is trying to say, oh no, he'd be a fantastic centre midfielder and one of us is saying, oh, he'd be an incredible right winger. That just shows you, and this is coming from a United what, yeah. Wrexham fan now after yesterday's game. And you also... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Drew, you call, Drew called that. He just went, George is going to say he's a Wrexham fan, not a United fan. Um, but to be you also put in that conversation, you could see him as a 10 because he can pick a pass, he can finish, he can do everything. He's the complete package. He's 23, oh, he's is... only going to get better, and he's playing at right-back. My start I saw the other day was he has got 44 assists, I think, since 2016, and the list was like Jordi Alba, Andy Robertson, uh, Danny Alves, so on, and Trent's like fourth on the list. And then someone pointed out when the list started, Trent was 14. <laughs> so he's not even, since that list began, he's had a four-year handicap on everyone else, and now he's caught up. That's incredible. That's incredible. Well, what I also love about that is you can tell the Liverpool fan, because I know for a fact that list will have contained Kevin De Bruyne, David Silva, all these great players. He decided to put Andy Roberts in second. (laughs) It was a fullback's (laughs) list, to be fair. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was a fullback's list. But that's the thing with Trent is, yes, he's a fullback, but, but his assist rate is up there with attacking midfielders. It's like Diego Jota is a fantastic player. He is short. The reason why he is so good in the air or with headed goals is because he knows that if he gets in between the centre-backs, Trent is that good that he's just going li- to... He's not going to have to move. He's just going to have to... He puts it on his head. Yeah. He, he, I've never... Uh, like He has a right foot like I've never seen. He, he is... He, he's the reason that you love football. He's just so he's, good. He's redefined the right back position to the position. I'm not saying I know that he's not the best defender. That's it's, it's a given. He's not, but like all round player in terms of actual skills on across the board, I'd probably say Reese James is on a level. Yeah. But in terms of the attacking fullback, Trent is the best. That's no question in that one either. But with Trent, what he's done is the old famous character. I was going to say no this, one yeah, wants yeah. to grow up to become Gary Neville because no one wants to be yeah. a right back. <laughs> But kids want to grow up and be trendy. Sorry, have you ever seen the amount of players that have a fullback's number and name on the back of their shirt than Trent Alexander-Arnold? I don't think you ever, ever have in the history. Maybe when Cafu was there, maybe when... But not in not in the Premier League, anyway. And the Alves, maybe? Yeah. No. no. Yeah, Paul no. Koncheski, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! Uh, right, left back. <laughs> Moving on from Paul Kajewski as quickly as possible. Um, th- this was easy. I think there's some Londoners would have picked Ashley Cole. Roy Keane would pick Dennis Irwin. Every other human being would pick Roberto Carlos. Like th- th- this was just a. It- it's just a given. Like, th- th- there are very. I, I was thinking this earlier. Like, 
you have Makaleli defined the centre defence midfielder role. Roberto Carlos is the standard that you hold every left back to. I, I don't care what area you're from. Like, I could have put him in here for that France goal, which I think actually George and I watched the other day. Like, it was unreal. But then you add the fact that he's a World Cup winner, the best left foot I've ever seen. He's a left back who scored 11 international goals, scored 69 goals in his career. And then you add into the fact that he was willing to have his name put into a raffle <laughs> to play for a Sunday league team. And someone paid £5, which meant that Roberto Carlos played for the Bull in the Barn United. And that just sums up his attitude to football, where he just loves yeah. it. You know, the, the fact of like back when Luke Shaw decided that he could play five games where he wasn't absolutely dreadful, Roberto Carlos <laughs> called him Shawberto Carlos. Like, <laughs> but the, the guy, he, you can tell he just loves football the way he played it. He was aggressive, he was attacking, he could defend, but then you'd have a free kick in the opposition half and the keeper would be absolutely panicking going, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stop this. The guy was just unreal. Absolutely unreal. Uh, the uh, That eBay thing where he was on the raffle, it was, it was the eBay, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah so yeah. when he <laughs> get a free kick and the wall, they're like, oh God, <laughs> I've got Roberto, you, I'm right, trying to no. have the kids. Please don't do it. <laughs> if you... <laughs> if you if you if you have Roberto Carlos taking a free kick in a Sunday league team, you're sticking every ten of the outfield players in that fucking wall. I don't care. I don't care what is happening in I'm that game. I'm out. I'm going to take the mate. Yeah, you say that. I will be the person that is going. I value my life. I'm going to go and have a pint on the bench and let you buggers deal with it because there ain't no way I'm getting in the way of that left foot. Or yeah. I'd be the volunteer to be the one that lies down behind the wall because he, he never hits it on the floor. <laughs> so yeah, I'll take I'll take it for the team this no, time. But you, you, you'd get the unfortunate incident where James he finally Sancho. does decide, oh, I'm gonna hit it, hit it low, and then you're getting absolutely taken out. <laughs> he's he's the kind of guy though that you know that in that circumstance he'd see someone lying down and he'd go, I'm gonna give this guy a story to tell. So I am gonna this? absolutely. <laughs> this at his ass, and he is going to be there for yeah. decades saying yeah you're not going to believe it Roberto Carlos fired a free kick at my ass when I was lying on the ground I've not washed since <laughs> but yeah like th- that Brazil team was ridiculous and he was yeah. he was just absurd and I mean one of his teammates may be making an appearance later no you know spoiler alert but just watching him at left back goodness me he, he made left-back sexy. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, um, let's go see if your centre-backs are sexy. Into oh, the no, really not. Um, there may be a few Stoke City players that make an appearance in this. Let's see. Here we go. These two, they, they come as a pairing. I'm going to name them, then I'm going to do them individually. Abdullahi Fai and Ryan Shawcross. <laughs> now... I'm going to start. I'm going to start with Ryan Shawcross because I don't think there has been a more disrespected footballer in the Premier League. Ryan Shawcross gets slammed by absolutely everyone because of one tackle where Aaron Ramsey happened to be a fraction of a second. (laughs) He was a he was a solid defender. 
who there was a period when I remember it was just before was it the O six World Cup with the Germany goal that the the Lampard goal? I think yeah, it was O six. Parts over the line. Yeah. yeah, and everyone was saying we're or it might have been a bit later. We're screaming. We're screaming for a no. It was the twenty ten World Cup. Sorry, we're screaming for a leader. We're screaming for an old fashioned centre back who can just clear the ball and get rid of it. And Stoke fans are going, we've got Shawcross. The the one England game he played was the game that was Latan tore England apart. Yeah. And Shawcross got the blame for the overhead kick with everyone ignoring the fact that Joe Hart had decided to run 35 yards out of his goal to try and head against a guy who's six foot 25. We signed, he initially joined on loan for Stoke. We signed him for a million quid in the January because he'd made that much of an impact. He was in the Championship Team of the Year. That was the year we went up. He was with us for 14 years, played 375 games. He was the captain from 2010 to 2021. He was Stokes Player of the Season. He was in the Championship Team of the Year. He epitomised everything that was good about Stoke, which was this, we're not going to take any prisoners. We're just, yes, we're going to play hard, but we're going to hit. And he, he would have bled for that badge. And like, because I look a lot on the Stoke social media stuff. And when he went to America, he joined in my he joined, joined Beckham's team. Yeah. The only thing that Stoke fans were saying as a negative was it's an absolute disgrace that we don't get to give this guy the send off he deserves. Because yeah. I genuinely think there should be a statue for Ryan Shawcross outside Stoke because he is it, the fact of if you say Stoke City to anyone who has known about Stoke since after 2006 they're automatically going to go Ryan Shawcross. He, he I was... I suggest they might say Roy Delap. <laughs> that was the other name I put in there. Who is now a coach at Stoke because he is and so Stoke. But like Shawcross, he just did so much for the club. And I've met, I met him once and he's also um, the school that my mum works at in Stoke. He went on and did, went on to their primary school radio show. Um, stayed and took pictures with everyone and was lovely. Like he was a he was an ambassador for Stoke. He was, yeah, which that. given that it's not his hometown, I, he's one of those where I just go, you know what? You can say what you want. I won't hear a bad word against Ryan Shawcross. I really yeah. won't. He's just an like absolute that, that, legend that, that commit to the community aspect of clubs, especially like a community club like Stoke, which is so ingrained in the community. Yeah. yeah. Like for bigger cities, it gets lost. Like I know, that, like there are boroughs in London, but the London clubs could struggle to connect with their local community because it's such a vast amount of people in different areas. But with like a smaller, I know it's not small, but smaller city like Stoke, having the the community club that connects, and you see the stadium off the side, and you can see it. You know, it's it's part of the it's part of the the DNA of the town, really, isn't it? Yeah, hundred percent. Well, I genuinely think that's why. I mean, I know I've mentioned him before, but I think that's why McTominay and and Rashford and the local lads are given so many chances at United is because they're the local yeah. lads. It's why Phil Foden is so loved at Man City is because as footballers, you love you either love local lads or you love people who the city adopts as their own and just goes, we don't care where you're initially from, you're well, one was... of us. And so that like... With... Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Well, it's like, no it is the thing with like, you've got Trent... No, not at all. At Liverpool, you have Reese James at Chelsea. You have um, there is someone at Tottenham, and I can't think of them off the top of my head. You have, uh, but but you also have the players that like. So Carrick was adopted by United fans as one of their own. He's absolutely yeah. not. Um, 
I I can't speak for it, but Drew, you can back me up on this. Henderson is probably adopted as one of Liverpool's own, bearing the fact he's from yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. one of those things where the funny, if you play the for funniest one that we've so adopted long, recently just... is Costas Samikas. <laughs> the Green Scouser. <laughs> Good love Costas. But when but when you when you play for a but team yeah, the, um, for that long, it is sort of the thing where it's like you do adopt that. I well, I, I can't imagine. Like I will never know, but you do adopt that town as your own. You do, you will do anything for that town as well as that club. Um, the funniest thing is, is that United never gave him yeah. a chance, and that is exactly what United need right now is a player exactly like him, um, which is funny. But yeah, he's a bit old now, to be honest. Yeah, well, he's only, yeah, he, he's only he has thirty-four. Now yeah, but he and but this was the thing where this is the goodwill that he built up with the Stoke fans is his last two, three seasons for us, he was dreadful. And yet you would not find a single fan online slating him. You'd find them going We love you, Shawcross. Maybe now is the right time to consider retiring. You never get people going, he was rubbish. He didn't do this. We knew he had no pace. We knew he'd commit fouls. It was just that thing of like, we were doing everything on our power to not have a go at him because he had done so much for our club. Like he captained us into Europe. You know, he he captained us to an FA Cup final. It was, or he may not have been captain, um, but you know, he he was just... He was at the heart of everything we did. And yeah, him with Abdullahi Fai. I nearly put Robert Hooth in there. Very nearly. But Fai was the other centre-back of the season we came up. We signed him for two and a half million when we came up. The season when we lost 5-0 on the opening day and Paddy Power decided to pay out on Stoke going down. Because Paddy Power are Paddy Power. And we stayed up. And that's that's why the two of them are there because I, I couldn't separate them because I remember us getting promoted and then just that first season, there was that feeling of dread when we lost 5-0 away to Bolton and then I think it was second or third game of the season, we had Arsenal at home and we absolutely, sm- like physically smashed them. Van Persie got sent off for trying to basically stamp on um, Tom and so- Thomas Sorensen's face. We scored two scrappy goals from throw-ins, and it was it just epitomised everything about Stoke in those early Premier League years, where we were just at it. And yeah, Fye, I think yeah, we signed him for t- like two and a half million, which was nothing. He was an established Premier League player. He was made captain the next year when we finally decided that we needed to get rid of Andy Griffin. Goodness me. Goodness me! Well, I think the you mentioned the most... captaincy, and old uh, Abdullah lost his captaincy to Ryan Shawcross. He did indeed, but I think that was because again, though Abdullah, we did the. It was a similar thing with Abdullah as we did with Shawcross, where he just reached the end of his tenure, and no one wanted to have a go at how bad he'd got. So we just went. It's almost like when you say, "Yeah, we're just letting them go out to the farm. We're taking the dog to the farm." It was like we're just going to let Abdullah go to this foreign country and play his football out there, so that no one has to talk badly about him. He can just go and sit peacefully and earn his money, and you know, kick someone else in the face. Um, but you know, he was a centre back. But and that was the thing, like 
that was the Stoke centre-back at the time and he absolutely epitomised it. You know, I mean, the guy wasn't about foot. He played 36 times for Senegal. Like, that... This is what... Like, Senegal have never been a bad ta- bad team, but especially when Fai was playing, this was, you know, when they'd had the bump after beating France in the World Cup and they were coming through and they were, like, the go-to African side. The guy, he was a, he was a damn good player. And the fact of, outside of the Britannia... There were two kind of pillars, and we had pictures on each of them. And on one of them, for about six, seven years after he'd left, there was still a picture of Abdullah Fai. Yeah. And I think that was a testament to how Stoke fans viewed him, was because th- this guy just he, he came to our club when we'd been like, we got back to the top flight for the first time in so long and kept us up. And that was just a feeling like we'd never appreciated. So yeah, I I, I had to have fight and Shawcross with, with the honorary with the honorary mention to Robert Hu because he also scored in that five nil semi final win against Bolton, which up until Man City destroyed Watford was the biggest ever win at what was then called New Wembley. <laughs> nice bit of history. <clears throat> Absolutely. Nice. Um, so yeah, midfield. The, the the first one of these was the first name on my on my team sheet. It's Pirlo. Yes. Like, it's Pirlo. Like, you, you can keep your Javis, you can keep your Iniestas. Pirlo did it first and Pirlo did it better. He just didn't do it in a team that had Messi where the team's philosophy was pass it to the best player in the world. Yeah. You know, I mean, as an <laughs> England fan, I'd have put Pirlo on this list purely for that Penanka. Mm. Against us, because that was to do that under that pressure. He's one of those where you just don't quite have the words to how good he was. It's like you think we're going to have to try and explain to generations Andre Pirlo, and it you just go, he was everything you would ever want the perfect midfielder. I don't think there's. Yeah, I don't think the there's end. one team that would not take Perlo in that midfield. Like, no matter who you had over him, no matter who you already had in that team, if you got offered Perlo, you take him. Yeah. I don't think there's a team now that wouldn't take Perlo. I, I don't think there's a team now that wouldn't take Perlo now. Well, <laughs> I still think he'd probably do a job. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, he could go into that United midfield. Mate, as we've already said in this podcast, I could go into that United midfield and Drew can be a testament. I was left back. I would never have been a decent midfielder. I wasn't a decent left back. No. <laughs> All right. No. Give me some slack. <laughs> With Pirlo, I think because of the recency thing of, like, he rose to prominence in the mid-2000s and then, people viewed him as this sort of slower, like, uh, graceful midfielder. But in reality, if you look back at his early days, like, coming from, like, 2000 to 2005, that period then, he was like a combative box-to-box mm. midfielder. He was putting challenges in, doing a roulette on the thing, ping one 20 yards, running onto it. He, like, he was an all-action midfielder that aged well. Yeah. In the classic Italian saying, aged like a fine wine. But he genuinely did. He, he understood the limitations of his body as he was aging. So instead of trying to be one of those players that doesn't change their play style and then flames out, 
He was like, ah, well, I can't run as fast anymore. I'll just hit this past 40 yards, no problem. So, yeah. Th- I think it's also like, as... Sorry, George. Yeah. I was, well, I was just going to say, a couple, of, a couple of things that are really interesting about Pirlo is, one, when he moved to New York uh, City FC, probably moved there for the money because he knew it was the end of his career and he wanted to provide for his family. Fair enough, you got to respect that. But he definitely could have done a job somewhere. He definitely could have carried on a job somewhere, whether it was still at Juventus, whether it was... Um, I'd love to see him at somewhere in the Premier League. I would have loved to see it, see how he fared. I don't know how it would have gone. Uh, but also, can you name another player that's played for all three teams of Inter Milan, AC Milan and Juventus? Uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. That was very quick. Fair play. I mean, to be fair, Zlatan has played for half the clubs in Europe. <laughs> So I feel like whether it's right or not, it's like saying, can you name someone that's played for four teams in England and just going with Peter Crouch? Like he's played for most of the Premier League (laughs) and half of the Championship, so it's a safe bet. Uh, but I see what you mean, George. It is a very niche thing to do. Yeah. It's not a very common thing to have those three players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just had that information from my back pocket. <laughs> Sorry to push you a little bit. Yeah, fair enough. Well, no, 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 no. That's the reason I asked that? it because I genuinely don't know as well. It's like. Yeah, it's, it's like you're saying, though, with, with Perlo and looking back to when he was come, like that five years where he was the, the like, you know, the all guns. I think it's also. When you, when you look back on a player, you forget some of the things they did because you remember certain aspects of their game. And the player that always comes to mind is Roy Keane. Because everyone always remembers Roy Keane as the red cards, the hard tackles, and they just go, oh, he was just this guy who sat in front and tried to break people's legs. No, there was a good... Like most of his career at United, Roy Keane was the box-to-box player who would ping the 40-yard pass, who would then get on the end. He... In terms of goal scoring, he was nowhere near Gerard or Lampard. But without Roy Keane, you wouldn't have had a Gerard and Lampard because he was the one who did it best, first yeah, of all, that they then adapted. Like, Keane, Keane had absolutely everything in his arsenal. And I think that's like what you're saying with Pirlo is we remember him as the guy who would sit with the ridiculous locks and, you know, he's probably the best-looking footballer of all time and he just pinged passes left, right and centre whilst having a glass of red wine and dunking his bread into the olive oil and just being like, oh, I don't care, he's fine, past 40 yards. But he could do everything. I'm going to bring you back to one thing. Thank you. I trained, apparently. No, you're going to bring me back to the best-looking footballer of all time, aren't you? Because, because in our intro that I created... Me and Drew have a little uh, dispute yeah, yeah. in the fact that who is the best looking footballer in the world. I say Perlo, he says Xabi Alonso. So thank you, Matt, for backing me up on that one. Of course you say Xabi Alonso. Xabi Alonso is like if you bought Andre Perlo off of Wish. <laughs> oh, dear. Think, the most memorable thing Xabi Alonso ever did was score a long range goal against Newcastle. And the only reason it went in is because it was Steve Harper, who is like an under 10s goalkeeper coach, and he fell over. That's why you're wrong, Matt, because he actually also scored one against Luton Town when there wasn't even a goalkeeper in the goal. (laughs) (laughs) Luton Town, who are now managed by the Stoke City reject Nathan Jones, who's annoyingly doing a good job. Right, let's move away from uh, Pirlo and Alonso and good-looking footballers. Let's hope your next one's ugly. Who is it? I mean, it is to be... Well, it was nearly Pavel Nadved. So we nearly had, like, the flowing blonde locks in midfield. 
I couldn't not put Paul Scholes in. I, I, I just couldn't because, yes, he couldn't tackle. I'm loving the fact that George has got this smug grin on his face. Um, but, but again, he, he was just, the way he played the game, he was sickeningly talented. Like, the fact of, you know, you had, I think it was Zidane and Xabi. Xabi both say that the best player they ever played against was Paul Scholes. Is a testament to him. And then the fact of Inter Milan released that they said to United, here is a blank cheque, you write any number on it, and that is what we will pay for Paul Scholes. And his response was, the only way I will ever play for you is if you buy this football club. Yeah, I, I always think he, I don't he, know... You know, he was Mr Man United. I don't know how true that saying is, because surely if they'd have put... One one hundred billion on that sheet. Then it's like, I understand the sentiment behind it, but it's like, come on, like, come on. I love Paul yeah, goes to pieces. Come on, like, like the FA, <clears throat> the FA Cup is about the romance of football. That that story can't be disproved because that absolute that sums up that one club mentality, the romance of football. It's like, you know, yes, I know he nearly moved to Chelsea, but realistically, was Gerard ever going to move to Chelsea? Like this, like the romance of one player staying at a club for that long and being that committed is just yeah. so People wonderful. Think. Like Jamie Carragher, you know, just that thing of this is my club. The only way I'm ever not going to, the only way I'm ever going to play for you is if you buy this club. Sums up, I think, especially that kind of English British mentality of. This is this is my this is my heart. This is my home. And you know, like Scholes, he, he was unlucky when it came to England because he got shafted out to the left wing, and he was sacrificed because they were desperately trying to make Gerard and Lampard work together, and so they sacrificed the best passer out of the three, in my yeah. opinion. I know I've said that in front of a Liverpool fan, so you know I'm probably on I'm, I'm some sort that. of sniper list. I'm fine with that. Um. But yeah, you know, he 107 goals in 500 get well 499 games for Man U, which from midfield, unless you're talking your Gerard Lampard, is a ridiculous amount. He won everything that you can win at domestic level, and there's that video of um, is it in training where there's someone just walking along and they just say skulls hit them and he just pings it and smacks them in the head. Pings it. There's also the quote of, um, I think it was Ronaldo who said it. And they were like, who's the most skillful player in the United squad? And he said, Skulls. And there was, uh, and they were like, can you explain to us why? And he said, um, everyone was trying to hit, uh, like there was, there was a tree that was like, yeah, there was a tree that was however many yards away. I don't want to say in case I like over egg it or under egg it. There's a tree that's so many yards away. And they were all trying to hit it and they were all, either missing it or hitting it every now and again. And Skulls came along and was like, oh, what, what are you guys trying to do? I oh, was trying to hit that tree over there. So Skulls goes, oh, that one, puts the ball down, hits it, walks away, and it just hits the tree. And it's just like, in the fact that he has that confidence yeah. of like, oh, this is 100% going to hit the tree, and I know it is. What a player. What a player. Current United squad can't even see the tree. <laughs> Well, it's like there's a similar story with um, George Best, where I think he was working with a group of school kids with a with a football coach who had worked with him, 
And these kids go, who's the best player that you've ever played against? Like, who's the best player in the world? And he went, him. And the kids go, what? No, he's not. He went, I'll prove it to you. Hit the crossbar. Guy smashes against the crossbar. He went, do it again. Does it again. Do it again. Does it a third time. George Best goes, that is why he's the best player. Because no one else can do that. And it's just that, just that thing of just, just the casual calmness. You just go, what, hit that? Yeah. All right, fine. Do we know? But yeah, it's got, there's something about Scalzi, you know. Do we know who the guy that uh, George talked about? I can't remember. My dad told me years ago. Okay. I, don't, I can't remember. It was George Best. He was just smashed talking to himself. <laughs> oh, no. Sorry. Oh, no. It, it was it was a story that Pele told about himself. <laughs> um, and he counted every single one of the crossbars as four goals. I love... <laughs> I also, I just love the fact that you could, because you can see it as well, is George Best just talking to himself. You know, like Gollum in the Lord of the Rings films where it's like the <laughs> camera flips. And all all the kids that he's talking to are just stood in a line like, I'm really scared and I want to go home. Suddenly edging backwards like, <laughs> Mum. It's a scary drunk Irishman who's talking to himself, <laughs> saying that this invisible man's the best player in the world. He keeps telling us that he slept with Miss World and we really don't right. care. I just came here to play five aside because I didn't want to go to band practice. <laughs> <laughs> right. <clears throat> We're going wide right. Um, I am Let's going go from there. Roy Keane's favourite player of all time, his favourite player that he ever managed. John Walters. <laughs> um, no, I, I am genuinely going for John Walters. Um, purely because I know I said about Shawcross, he, epi- like, he epitomised everything good about Stoke. When we got rid of John Walters and sold him to Burnley, I thought, you know, yeah, it's the right time. The moment we got rid of him was the moment Stoke went down because he was the driving force of that side. Didn't matter whether he had the ability or not, he would just run and run and run and run and he worked his backside off. And he he was he was he was Mr. Stoke. Like I he played two hundred and seventy times for us and scored sixty goals. To score sixty goals for Stoke City is bloody impressive when you think of we wouldn't we were not big scorers and for one player to score that four years in the Premier League that 60 goals I think you're being kind but you know he he was with for he was with for seven years so it's like eight nine goals a season for Stoke that's a decent return yeah absolutely when you think that's probably you know 20 15 20 percent of all of our goals a season and he did that from the right wing. And, you know, he cost us, I think it was two, 2.75 million or something ridiculous. Like, comparatively, really, really cheap. He scored twice against Bolton in that FA Cup win. He was just one of those players that, that was like the golden era for Stoke when we got to the FA Cup final, we got to Europe, we were solid top half in the league. And he was the one player that every week you go, the first name on the team sheet is either Ryan Shawcross or John Walters. And he he was just... he was I view him the way that Liverpool fans view Dirk or United fans view Park, 
where he was just that player that it didn't matter what the game was, you wanted him on the pitch because you knew you could rely on him. Can Reliable. we also mention a little bit of a uh, link here, Matt, because John Mortar's also played for Wrexham. That is a team that I have not... Oh, no, aren't they that team that are famous because of No, TikTok? they're the team that are the third oldest team in the world, actually, just behind you guys. <laughs> but what I'm going to say is, so we... It's like a love-hate relationship with John Walters in in Wrexham. I mean, most people most people probably don't remember him. Um, he was, I was very young when he played for us. I think I was about ten. But um, we sold he him Wrexham at that point. Right, Drew, fuck off. <laughs> we sold him. I know this as well. Like I know this. I know all the players. My favorite player, player in Wrexham. I'm I, I, put your fucking fish rod away. I don't care. I am fucking like we. My favorite player for Wrexham ever was Chislovich. You search when Chislovich played for Wrexham. It was way before the Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney era. I'm gonna go back to him anyway. John Waters. We sold him straight to Chester, which is like the equivalent of. Liverpool selling straight to Everton, United selling straight to City, like with the Tevez situation, which you can see how much that blew up. So it was like, it was a horrible situation at the time. So as soon as he was sold, it was like, he's dead to us. Fuck him. But you don't realise that we actually sold him to them. So it just sort of... Yeah. Sorry about my explosion there. Your dealings. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Are you, are you all right, George? You think this far in? You, you feel like I just brush it off. You feel like I just brush it off my shoulders and be fine with it, but clearly not. That's right. I'm creating clips for TikTok. I feel like <laughs> every every episode I do it, every single one. Uh, but yeah, Johnny Walters, right wing. What a man. What a player. Fair play. Good scouser that played for Ireland. Love that. <laughs> Going around to Roy Keane for Christmas. Um, right, where are we going gonna... next? Left. I'm going to skip to left. And I don't think this is... When I say the net, it won't be a surprise. Um, I have gone for Alex Iwobi's uncle. <laughs> the man's so good, they named him twice. Augustine Azuka J.J. Okocha. Yes. What a player. Was never the most talented and played in that how he played in Sam Allardyce's Bolton, I will never... What he was doing in that side. Like, him and Yuri Jork... Him and Yuri Jorkayev must have been looking around at Kevin Davis and Kevin Nolan and all these players going, what the hell are we doing here? But Akotcha just decided to go, you know, to do that, I am just going to do every single trick that every kid has tried to do on FIFA Street on PlayStation 1, and I'm going to put it into a game. Like the, the was it the I think they called the rainbow flick the the over he was just yeah. you couldn't stop watching him because you knew any moment he was gonna try and do something ridiculous and whether it would come off or not you know that yeah. you'd love it I so this I th- I believe this comes at a really really good time at the moment because I don't know if either of you have seen this on social media I don't know where it's come from I don't know why it's there there's this big thing on like football social media so like football Twitter football Instagram football TikTok. There's a big slander against JJ Okocha. And it's mainly because people are like, oh, all these people talk about JJ Okocha and he wasn't that good. And they pull up the stats. And it's like, oh, right, okay. And it's all these, it's all these Gen Z kids that are doing it. And like, no slander against them. It's just like, 
you need to understand that football is not about the stats. I feel like it's a big American like influence yeah. that's coming in with all the American sports that they care about stats so much. Football is so different. You don't need the stats in football. You can be an incredible player and not have got like all the goals you need or the assists you need or this. Oh yeah, he didn't get as many goals as this person. Oh yeah, he didn't get as many assists as this person. But he was so influential. And like the very fact that us three sitting here in our generation are talking about him the way that we talk about him. It, like I remember, I remember watching yeah. these like TikTok t- uh, tweets and stuff like that, and I was just like, "This is horrible. This is actually making me angry inside." Because JJ Okocha is a cult hero. But I I want you to remember that rant when I talk about my central attacker midfielder, the whole stats thing. Okay, because yeah, I yeah, saw okay. something on Twitter that made me nearly throw my phone. Um, but yeah, back to JJ like. Like I say, that's the thing where like stats don't say everything. No. He was in he was effectively in the stoke of that era because it was a Sam Allardyce side. And yet we had somehow they'd somehow got this player who had decided that he wanted to be Cristiano Ronaldo before he was Ronaldo and do the ridiculous tricks and flicks. And yes, they didn't always come off. But did you care? Did you heck? Because he was part of a Bolton side that finished in the top four. And it was it was like this was an era when no one did any of that. Especially yeah. in the English league. Like you had no, players in like the, the Spanish league. But yeah, oh mate, if the coach was five, six years later, you know, that a similar player I think nowadays actually is Sir yeah. Maximum. Where yeah. he's just that raw, exciting, I'm going to take you on, I'm going to try and do a trick. If it comes off, I don't care, I'll try it again in five minutes. And yeah. that was a thing that we didn't have at that time. And, you know, this is a guy who, like, he won the African Cup of Nations, he's won Olympic gold. He was, I mean, I know, broadly speaking, Nigerian football wasn't that great, but to be named your country's best player of the year seven times is an yeah. achievement. Yeah, and like he's playing at the same time as Carnu in that. Carnu yeah. was tearing it up at the time. I have had the Jeez. privilege of seeing JJ Okocha score a worldy free kick nice. in real life. Uh, it was 2003, cold December evening. Liverpool versus Bolton in the, uh, I believe it was the Carling Cup still back then. Or maybe it was in the Worthington Cup back then, actually. I was going to say. Probably still the Worthington. Yeah. And uh, Liverpool lost 3-2. Um, great day out for me and my dad. <laughs> I think it was like a Wednesday. And uh, we lost last last minute Euro Jokaev penalty, uh, but yeah, JJ Okoch just like curled in a free kick, and we were sat behind. We were sat at the cop end, and he scored at the Anfield Road end, and so we had the perfect view of the curl. And I remember even as ten years old, that's one of the, like those footballing things you will I'll always remember is watching that goal go in, not knowing who had scored it, and then they got the cut the um the very monotone announcer that Liverpool still have. Said goal scored by number ten, JJ Okocha, and then like all the Bolton fans go mad, and I was like, oh, "Cool, that's JJ Okocha." I love that. With you know that age, you're really. Oh, it's my favorite thing. It's like you know full well that like when like Ronaldo, when Beckham, if um like if Beckham scored a worldy free kick, or like if Rooney scored that overhead kick against City, but it was away from home, that the Man City announcer would just be like. And goal scored by Man United number ten, Wayne Rooney. 
<laughs> it's just the fact that announcers, even if they want to go mental, even though it's against them, just have to be like, and that goal was scored. Thank you very much. We'll see you yes. next week. Cheers. And that went in. Cheers, <laughs> I, I do love that about any announcer. It's sort of, it's that sort of, I have to do this. I really don't want to, but I have to say it at some point. <laughs> well, to be fair, it's, it's like any time you hear Martin Tyler commentating on... Like man, uh, the ones like man when Martial scores his opening goal is like welcome to Manchester, and then the same game Benteke scores a worldy overhead kick and he just goes Benteke. Oh yeah, and that that overhead kick, that overhead kick it. as well. <laughs> that's all he that says. overhead kick was incredible, <laughs> which is an absolute yeah. worldy. Um, and all he says was attention Benteke, and then the just I would, real. I would no, love to see you know in like an American sports and a. It's more basketball than anything. So if they're announcing the teams at the beginning of the game, it'll announce the um, away team first. And Drew, Drew can back me up on this because Drew's a big, big basketball fan. But they'll announce the away team, and over the top of it, they'll put like music that's really like I don't I, I don't know what music. It's <laughs> it's elevator music. Like, no one gives a shit. Let's just it's like circus elevator music, like taking a piss, <laughs> yeah, yeah. basically. And then as soon as it comes onto the home team, it's like epic bass, lights are going crazy, and it's just like, yeah, you know where you <laughs> fucking are right now. I'd love to see that in British football. Like, I'd love if, them to with have the announcers. Like... Oh, I want them to see what they do in the UFC and have a commentator's camera, which is like. Because to be fair, the most enjoyable thing is when they've got like the camera on Carragher and Neville when it's the United Liverpool game, and seeing them they both did it when Lallana scored against United at Old Trafford, yeah, the like, season we're in the league, and he's like they lose their shit off camera and then go, we've got to absolutely compose ourselves, and then Neville has to be has to be like, and that was a fantastic finish, man, Lallana. I can't believe they defended from United while Carragher's just like going. Aah! Yeah, it's it's just brilliant because the, there was, I'd lo- but I'd love to see that with Martin Tyler. Yeah. There was the because there was the one there was the one where um, it might have been the Lallana one actually where they had a camera on them and it goes in and Neville punches the hell out of the table in front of him and then and then literally <laughs> just composes himself and goes that was a great goal by just like then let's let's move forward shall we you've already you've already Sorry. precursed this by saying he doesn't we have were, the best stats we were speak I saw on Twitter. And I could not believe what I was seeing. And this was an absolute Gen Z. They don't have a clue. Someone trying to use stats. So to preface this, my I have two favourite players of all time. I had to leave out my number two, which is Dennis Bergkamp. Who just epitomised everything that is beautiful about football. You can have I him as a some... second sub on the bench if you want. We'll let you have that. Okay, he's the second sub on the bench because, my God, Dennis Bergkamp, that man. I saw someone trying to use stats to argue that Neymar was better than Ronaldinho. (laughs) Oh, no, come on now. Can you imagine the anger I felt? There's no way I could not have Ronaldinho in this. There has never been a better footballer to watch. I don't care what era you're from. I don't care who you support. The best footballer of all time to watch, if you enjoy football, is Ronaldinho. Have you not Without seen question. Scott McTominay play? I'm not a Liverpool fan, so I don't enjoy it that much. But, you know... But, but also, 
how like how can you describe also, Ronaldinho? Going, going off that, like, just... it's not it's not as if Ronaldinho. If you're looking at stats, it's not as if Ronaldinho has bad stats because he's got incredible stats. It's just the fact no. that he had fun. T- but it was it was someone using a Neymar season at yeah. PSG Farmers League. I'm like, oh great, we're talking about that league. Okay, where? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, plain and simple. Hey. But I'm currently wearing a Leon shirt. Don't disrespect <laughs> it, boys. Come on. I, I I'm not sure. Mate, Leon have given the world of Leon have, Leon have given the world of football Memphis to pie and Alex, Alexander Lacazette. They can't exactly boast that they've got the top end footballers. It's like, oh, they look good in the French league. Let's sign them. Forest. Oh. I mean, Hatton Ben Arthur looked good in the French league, but I mean, like. T- Thierry Henry? I mean, I yeah, no, a bit yeah, dis- fair, 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 fair. Drew, Drew has to, Drew has yeah. to like defend this because his uh, his wife is in fact French. So, well, she doesn't care. <laughs> I think French football's good. She, she, if anything, she would argue against it because she hates football. So she would tell anyone that the French is rubbish <laughs> to stop people from watching it. Fair. Do you remember the Jog Benito advert? Yeah. Yes, loved them. That Ronaldinho advert where he puts his boots on, does the keepy uppies, and then pings it against the bar. Does keepy uppies, pings it against the bar. Does keep, like the skill level to do that? Because I remember there were loads of conspiracy theories when those came out, going, "Oh, they're absolutely edited." And it was just like, if there was any other footballer, you'd maybe go, "Yeah, I can see why that would be edited." But Ronaldinho was the one player. Well, I don't think anyone questioned its authenticity of just going, it's obvious that he has just played keepy uppy with a crossbar four times. Yeah. Yeah. You you ne- you never saw him without a smile on his face. Like even when um I think like it's quite one of the YouTube famous clips where he gets given the red card instead of the yellow and then the guy brings the yellow out afterwards. He's still smiling. He was just always smiling and always happy. And could you, he could score a goal from anywhere? He could score a pass from anywhere. The no look pass. He was, he was Ronaldinho. He he was just an entity unto himself. And yeah, I, I would I would rather watch a million Ronaldinhos than watch a Messi or a Ronaldo. Ooh, hot take! I don't think it's a hot take. Messi and Ronaldo for me don't make you fall in love with football. Ronaldo. I'm sorry to say, George, Ronaldo especially. Ronaldo, I love him, but he is cold, he is calculated, he is selfish, he is, I will give everything to get the result. What I will... Messi... What I I was was going to say, what I will say to counter that in a way is like, we're talking about this from a point of view, which is our generation, where Ronaldinho was our Ronaldo and Messi. Whereas... We we've mentioned them before. This like the Gen Z lot, the people who were born just before two thousand or after two thousand, are probably looking at Ronaldo and Messi, being like, "Oh my god, these are the best players to ever play." So when, say, for instance, if me and Drew are still going with this podcast in ten years, and we get people on that are younger than us, they will say Ronaldo and Messi because of this exact same reason, because they made them fall in love with football. I feel like they do make them fall in love with football. I feel like they're very different. Like you say, it's more this is my job rather than with Ronaldo, with Ronaldinho. It felt more like I just love to do this. 
Yeah, I mean, for, I'm I'm not questioning from my point of view that Messi and Ronaldo are the two best players that have ever played the game. Yeah. In, like, especially from what I've seen, I'm I would never question that. But if you're going to ask me who would I rather watch, there th- there isn't even a competition. I, I'd rather watch JJ Okocha. To be fair, that. I'd rather watch JJ Okocha because he made it more fun. That there's Ronaldo used to have that to him. And then I think in the last few years when he realised that he had records that he could break, he stopped doing the fancy flicks and the fun tricks and he was all just about getting the goals. Mm, I think yeah. I agree, yeah. And, it's probably made him a better player in all honesty, oh, but less entertaining. Yeah. So if I'm talking about, you know, what what do I love watching? G- give me Pete Ronaldinho over, over Messi and Ronaldo any day of the week. Just to round this out nicely, JJ Okocha and Ronaldinho... Played one season together at PSG. PSG. Could you imagine and obviously what went on on the PSG manager? Could you imagine the rainbow tricks? flick to rainbow flick to <laughs> rainbow flick? Could you imagine the tricks that went on on that training ground? The ball never touched the floor. <laughs> Literally, it would have been like when Stoke scored that goal against Man City. When Asmir Begovic pinged it long Literally. and it was cleared and then Peter Crouch controlled it and then scored the best goal in Premier League history. Ooh, all right. Well, <laughs> let's see if he makes it into your team. Who's your striker? Uh, Ricardo Fuller. <laughs> I called it, George. I called Did it. you say I'd go Fuller? I mean, Ricky, mate, again, like a Stoke, how, but a similar vein to was he the best footballer? Absolutely not. Was he entertaining to watch? Did he give his all for the shirt? Absolutely. He came up with us. We signed him for 500k. He he got us promoted since he retired, or I think he did retire. He then went and played a season with a local team called Hanley Town in Stoke. Ricky Fuller, man, he, he would. I don't. I don't know if there were jewelry rules back then, but he wouldn't give a shit, and we just play with two of the biggest diamond earrings you have ever seen in did your he life. Play, do you remember? Do you remember when people used to play I, with the? They used to have like earrings, but they'd have tape over it. Like Beckham used to do it. Like it was. Oh yeah, rule. he did that. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say. But he would then also play with just the massive diamond earrings in. I think he was one of he just didn't care. He because I remember he got goal of the month and it was in contention for goal of the season against Villa, which was one of our for no because the the game we the, the, the flick around the defender the flick campus. around the defender and then he like got it in from like a micon angle. It was ridiculous. Yeah, um, I still you know. So, you know, I was on about the Arsenal game. The Arsenal game was third game of the season. That was second game of the season because that was the game after when everyone was going, if Stoke lose this, we reckon they're going to go down. And then he did that and everyone was just like, oh, actually, Stoke have a little bit of something about them. He he, he was a legend. He's, he's a Stoke legend. Just the best. What I respect about him, for the most part of his career, he played with the same physique that I'm currently rocking, which is my respect for you, Ricardo. <laughs> Good lad. He also played a lot of his career in red and white stripes because he went from Southampton to Stoke. I think the the only ones he was missing was Sunderland and Brentford, and he'd have completed the the full house. Don't mention Brentford. <laughs> um, just um, but saying, yeah. like he's got he's going to be a bit close to my Andrew's heart because he played for Preston North End. Obviously, me and Drew going to university in Preston. Yes, he did. He, had, he actually had just looking at it here. He had a very, very good career in Preston North Ends. He scored 27 goals in 58 games, which isn't bad. 
It's actually a very good percentage. Yeah, That's probably decent. Uh, yeah, probably, time, probably, but. I mean, he got 40, I think it was 40, well, I say, I think, like I haven't got it written down. He got 43 and 182 for us. Let me just pull this from my mind. <laughs> Let me just, this random stat that I've memorised. Yeah, he got 43 and 182, which when you think, again, for a team like Stoke and the way that we were playing, those are decent numbers. Like, we, we were never a big goal scorer inside. I'd, you know, I can't remember when, if if under Pulis we ever won by, other than the FA Cup semi-final, if we ever won by three or more goals. You know, we just, we didn't, we won 1-0, 2-1. That, that was how we won. And so Absolutely. to get like a goal every four games is not a bad return. Um, but yeah, he, he was just a legend. Got us promoted. He was in the team of the season for the championship when we got promoted. And he, he just, I, I love the fact that Andy Griffin, who was our captain when we first went up, was absolute shite and would give everyone the absolute gob. And Ricardo Fuller and Andy Griffin had their Lee Bowyer, Kieran Dyer moment and both got sent off because Griffin was giving Fuller some absolute earful about something and Fuller just had had enough and turned around and basically hit him in the face. And they both got sent off. And I've never been more happy for my player getting sent off and it was because he hit the captain of my team. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, he's had that coming. So, you, mate, you just hit him. You didn't hit him hard enough. You just go for him. Just absolutely lamping one. Um, but, yeah. What a player, Ricky. Great. Ricky Fuller. Stoke's number Ricky 10. Fuller, nice. Well, if he's starting up front, who's coming off the bench? Peter Crouch. We've already established the beer camps on the bench. Pe- oh, Peter it's Crouch. Peter Crouch. I know he is, like, I think he is your most picked sub. Ha- Again, as a Stoke fan... How can I not pick Crouchy? I, I had I'd never I'd never liked Peter Crouch. I'd like there was this all always oh, got a good touch for a big lad. I was like, eh. and then he came to Stoke, and he ran his backside off, and he ran for Tony Pulis, and he just worked for the team, and he bought in. Yes, it helps that when I was working at Alton Towers, I had a dance off with Peter Crouch. Which is one of the coolest yes. moments of my life. Come on then. Um, he's an absolute... Context, please. Yeah, don't, um, yeah, so don't move I away was from it. On the pirate show. <laughs> it's one of my favourite moments ever. So I was um, an actor on the pirate show there before I went to drama school, and at the time they that year they just introduced where like the pirates would walk around the park or around the the area and interact with people, and we had a granny scooter that was decked out as a pirate ship that had a sound system. Yeah. And you could push buttons and it would play various songs. And so I was playing that part that day and I was going up the street and I saw Peter Crouch and I just went, I'm never going to get this chance again. So I just screamed and went, you dance off. And I played the YMCA. And a crowd started forming, and me and Peter Crouch had a dance off while I'm standing on top of this granny scooter decked as a pirate oh, ship. And it got to the end, and he just came over. He went, "That was really fun, thank you." And I just went, I broke out and went, "I'm a huge Stoke fan. You're a legend. Thank you very much." Mate. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, crap, crap. Crouch is coming off the bench. He's got a beat. Like, yeah, it's Crouchy. Right, quiz time for you, George. Peter Crouch did hold the record for most Premier League substitute appearances. 
who now holds that record? Ooh, okay. Because I, I oh, thought I it was Jermaine Defoe, but I'm assuming it's not because it's been broken. So, if I'm asking you, if I'm asking, oh, you, it's say, James I'm, fucking yeah. Milner, isn't it? It's James Milner. <laughs> it's James Why is he Milner. on the bench? Why is he on the bench? <laughs> not influential yeah. enough. Why is he on the bench? Because he's 37. No, okay, fair. To be fair, with any of those kind of questions, I think you've got a safe bet if you go with like either Gareth Barry or James Milner because they've just been playing for about yeah. 48 years combined. Yeah. And Millie's still doing it. Go on, boy. He is still taking up a place in your squad. Right, right, right. Moving on. I will be back after this break. We've got your first 11. We've got your subs. Who is managing this team? I know, I know the faces that are going to be pulled, but I also know you're not remotely surprised because he has featured on so many of your worst managers, absolute dog shit managers, dreadful managers, doesn't know how to play football managers. Name me another manager that took a team from third bottom in the championship to the FA Cup final and to the Europa League, Tony goddamn Pulis. That man, yeah, boy. That man does not get the respect he deserves as a manager. He has never been relegated. As he a does manager. for me. I don't care if he does. <clears throat> I don't care if he doesn't play Jurgen Klopp football. If he doesn't play Pep football, he literally. So he managed Stoke and then got fired because we had Icelandic owners, and the reason they gave was he didn't explore the foreign transfer market enough. This was a time when basically it was like Wolves now. They can only sign Portuguese players. We could only sign Icelandic players. I think we then had Jan Boskamp, who was crap. And then the Coates family took charge of the football club again because they realised that what they'd done was basically sell to the Icelandic version of the Glazers, for, for want of a better comparison. People who did not care about the club, who didn't have a clue how to run it. And then Pulis came back in when we were third bottom in the championship and within three seasons, I think it was, it was either three or four, I have a feeling it was three, we were back in the premiership. And then he took us all the way to a, like, we finished, I think it was 13th, 14th our first season when everyone literally just had us written off as dead last. Then we ended up in an FA Cup final. The only reason we lost, like this was against Man City when they had their squad of... Yaya Torre, this was the Yaya Torre era and the only reason we lost was because Rory Delap, who had had the game of his life and I think he was like in his 30s at the time was absolutely knackered because he had tracked Yaya Torre step for step the entire game and just couldn't keep up with him and we lost 1-0 and it was one of the worst days of my life and I hated it but then City went and won the league or finished in the Champions League places so we got into Europe and we I think we, I think we finished second in our We were in a group Bajictus and a couple of others, and we, we like got through to face Valencia. And it's like Tony Pulis was the only reason for that. He literally took us from third bottom of the Champions League to the knockout stages of the Europa League. And yeah, it's insane. The actual achievement of that is insane. He, like he gets so disrespected because of the style of football that he plays. But for what he did to my football club, well, I'd sort I, of, I'd <sighs> sort of like relate it to, and I know it's completely different levels, but like to Jose Mourinho and the fact that people and hold hold my hands up, uh, you know, a lot of United fans sort of went on to say that 
Jose Mourinho's style of play was awful. And it was, and to be fair, it, there is a lot of part of the bus in there and stuff like that. It's not very fun to watch, but if you look at Jose Mourinho's, um, the trophies he's won, the accolades he's won, the he just he just won a tro- uh, European trophy with Roma. Yes, fair enough. It was the uh, I don't know what it's called, U- Europa Conference League. Conference yeah, League, just like yeah, okay, it might be that one, but he's he's got the trophies, he's got all these accolades. He won the Champions League with Porto. He won the Europa League with United when United really weren't doing well. I like. You can't, you can't judge him. So it's 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 almost the same with Tony Pulis and the fact yeah. that yeah, you might it might not be the most enjoyable football to watch. It might not be pet football. It might not be clock football, but he gets the job done. Yeah, well, look, it was when because like Pulis, he, we did go downhill when we got rid of him, but I also think it was like when when Alan Kerbsley left Charlton. He'd taken Stoke as far as he could. Yeah. I think the thing with Pulis was he he didn't just get the best out of the players he had. He somehow managed to get more out of them. Like the, the players that we had, we, we stayed in the Premier League with a midfield of Liam Lawrence, Dean Whitehead, Glenn Whelan and Matty Etherington. Like we had Ken Wynn. Yeah, that's obscene. <laughs> we had Ken Wynn Jones up front. We had Mamadi Sidibe was one of our main strikers for a while. Like, we had these players who, if you actually looked in the grand scheme of things, were bad players. And he was getting us finishing near or in the top half of the table. That, for me, says everything about Tony Pulis as a manager. The, the fact of, I think it was Palace and West Brom, when they were on the brink of getting, like, in trouble of getting relegated, both just went, we need to get Pulis in, because we know that he will absolutely just shore that defence up, get us playing the right football and keep us in the league. Absolutely. Definitely agree. Great manager. And like you said, like a man that means so much to so many fans for what he did. And because that's, that's the thing. It's all, it's all subjective to fans opinions, isn't it? Because people can tell you something about your own manager, but it's your manager. It's different for you yeah. as the fan of that club. The connection you have is different than outsiders looking in. Yeah. And to round off nicely for Tony Pulis, George, I like this one. Uh, so he had a playing career before he was a manager. He did. Uh, the second club he played for, so he started his career at Bristol Rovers, the 1981 signed for Happy Valley. Now, there is a, a Happy Valley nearby where me and George are from, but it's not that one. Uh, he, he moved from Bristol Rovers to Happy Valley in Hong Kong and played a season in Hong Kong in 1981. Wow. Tony Pulis played abroad. Fair play to him. That's fantastic. You can just imagine him walking around downtown Hong Kong. Do you do chips? <laughs> Looking for a bus to park. That's where he learned it. Obviously, there's only buses in Hong Kong. He, he, he saw that. He, he saw the traffic and he just went, this is my managerial defensive strategy against any team that is remotely better than me. And to be fair, it works for a lot of the time. He got, his, he got his A coaching badge at 19 years old. He's one of the youngest people to ever get their coaching badge. Bloody hell. He got it at 19 years old. So there is a likelihood that he was in Hong Kong, saw some buses and went, right, I need to get my badge ASAP so I can put this into action. I can't even remember what I was doing at 19. 
I, was, I think I was wash, genuinely. I think I was washing dishes in an old folks' home. Meanwhile, Tony Pulis is out there getting his coaching badges. Go on, Tony. Okay, Tony. Let's go to the Britannia. Oh, sorry, sorry. <clears throat> Let's go to your stadium. You'd have thought, and you'd be wrong. Oh, I do apologise. I have gone for, as a Stoke fan, one could say a controversial stadium. There is one stadium that I remember growing up watching the games, and it was at a time when you can keep your Liverpools and Cities. That is not a great rivalry. Those are two teams that play good football but respect each other. Yeah, I agree. This is, in my opinion, the greatest rivalry I've ever seen in English football. And when they would play the games at this side's home stadium, the fireworks you'd see. The best, it's a stadium I wish I could go and watch football in now. It's Highbury. Yeah, I, was gonna, I thought it was going to be Highbury. <clears throat> it's Highbury. That, that United-Arsenal rivalry is the best that has ever been seen. In, like yeah, Man, Man City now, as you get to the end of the game, you've got Klopp and Guardiola talking about how great the others are. The only... Yeah, the only controversy you ever get is if Mane accidentally kicks Edison in the face again. Which now he's gone to Bayern is unlikely to happen. But, you know, they respect each other. This is a rivalry when you had Pizzagate, when you had Martin Keown jumping up and down in front of Van Nistelrooy being the ultimate shithouse, when you had Keenan Vieira literally having to be pulled apart because Keen thought Vieira was picking on Gary Neville so he was ready to beat the shit out of him. And then they'd go out and play at Highbury. And there was something about the old ground and having the fans basically on the pitch. On the pitch, yeah. And, you know, like the games when, like, Ronaldo would... when I think it was when Ronaldo scored twice and shushed the crowd. And, like, when United broke the Invincibles run or, like, when you'd see Henri take on the entirety of Liverpool and score that goal. You always knew when it was Highbury because of the camera angle. If you remember, the camera angle was really low. Right, so last pick for you, the kit. The kit that we are wearing is the 1994 Nigeria away kit. Hello. It is, by today's standards, a busy kit, but it is a sexy, sexy kit. I I, I don't know what it was about it, but it was... So I was chatting to George the other day, and I nearly put in... I think it's a kit George Eddie's got. You know the Roma kit that had the really high neck? Yeah. That kit nearly went in there. I nearly had, I think it was like the United, the original United, like I think it was 96, 97 kit with the collar. That was a gorgeous kit. The Liverpool away kit, the, the cream and green, which sounds like it should be awful, but was beautiful. But this Nigeria kit was just, it's just sexy. Like it's the kind of beautiful. kit, it's the kind of kit you'd see a really trendy hipster wearing on a night out now and you'd think yeah, that he'd absolutely. got it from like some really high-end fancy store and actually it was like no nah, mate it's a Nigeria kit from it the kind of looks like a load of money yeah I, I don't know what it is about it but I I just remember loving it and it was just that it's beautiful. beautiful it was the, it was the kind of kit where I was like it's completely out there and a bit batshit crazy yeah, but yeah. brilliant famously worn by JJ Koch alright so Let's wrap up those choices. A, a, an amazing team. So we'll go back through your choices one more time to make sure you're happy with them. So formation, 4-2-3-1, with the defence of Edwin van der Sar in goal, 
Trent Alexander-Arnold, Abdullah Faye and Ryan Shawcross in the centre, and Roberto Carlos on the left. Yeah, moving into the midfield, we have the holder midfielders as Perlo and Paul Scholes. On the right wing, we have John Walters. Uh, left wing, we have JJ Okocha, and the attacking midfielder is Ronaldinho himself. Yeah, now up front, the lonely striker is Ricardo Fuller. Off the bench is Stoke legend Peter Crouch. And we did allow you to have the extra substitute of Dennis Bergkamp as well. The manager is Tony Pulis, the stadium is Highbury, and the kit is the 1994 Nigeria away kit. There are all your choices. Are you still happy with your choices? Any changes you want to make last minute? As, as much as I want to get Bergkamp in there, th- those are that is my team. I, I can't change anyone in there. We'll keep him on the bench. We've given you right. him as a sub. Yeah, it, he'll come off and he'll, so, he'll score the Argentine goal. Um, team name, if go. I can't have Stoke City Football Club, it's got to be, I've got to have a play on my surname and it's got to be the Bateman. Well, it's that been an amazing. absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you for coming Thank on. Thank you for having me on. Before we let you go, where can the good listeners of Nostalgia FC find you? So uh, They can find me on Instagram at MattBateman1991. They can find me on TikTok, I think the same name. I can't remember. I, it's there's too many to remember nowadays. Um, but yeah, I'll you know I'll, I'm on social media quite a lot. If you are in London, you can probably find me propping up the end of the bar at the Phoenix Arts Club, and you can find me at the Savoy Theatre in Pretty Woman. Thank you for having me on, lads. Absolutely loved it. It's been a real pleasure. Right there was Matt delivering his uh, his eclectic team with a mix of Stoke legends with just general football legends. A great mix. Clearly a man who loves football. Great chat there. Some great stories. How do you top a dance-off of Peter Crouch? I don't think you can. <laughs> I think that's our yeah, best football enough. interaction story. Uh, I don't know. Kevin Keegan in a uh, lottery hall was pretty good. but yeah, That's true, yeah. And I did see Kevin Kilban in Tesco Express once. You know, <laughs> Is that the same? Maybe a little bit better? Yeah, all right. I'll take that. So... Thanks again for listening, everyone. Uh, hope you've enjoyed another episode with a guest, two in a row. Um, so tune in next week where we might have another guest. We might not. Remember to check us out on socials. At Nostalgia FC Pod on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, uh, and Facebook. Yes. And you can also drop us an email at nostalgiafcpod at gmail.com. Boom. Thanks again for listening. Uh, tell your friends. Play the transfer game. Get involved. Oh, also, just a little quick shout out to uh, the latest thing that Nostalgia FC is getting involved in. The Nostalgia FC Around the Grounds Tour. So, uh, it started off this weekend. Uh, George couldn't make it because he lives in London. But uh, me and a collection of old... In fact, they'd all been on the podcast. Uh, we had Jared Thomas-Clark, Owen Quilter, Mark Quilter and my dad. So, all former guests of the Nostalgia FC podcast and me. Uh, went to uh, a local game in Conway, so Conway Borough versus London FC. Basically, every other Saturday when uh, Alinka, my wife, is working, uh, me and a mixed cast of former guests, or George, will be going to a different game every <laughs> every other Saturday. Um, so if you ever find yourself uh, looking for a game to go to on a Saturday and you want to tag along, let us know. You know, it'd be nice to link up with some people across the UK. Let us know the yeah, best things I... to go to. We're in. I also, I'm going to try and get to as many down here now that the football season has started, no matter what it is, if it's football league, if it's not, if it's national league, I don't care. At this point, I just want to see some live football. So um, same again, if you're down south, give me a shout and we'll go together. Oh yeah, there you go. Right, 
Tune in next week. Thanks again for listening. We love you. This was Nostalgia FC with Matt Bateman delivering the Batemen. And what a team it was. And what a team it was. Because it's actually giving the players a bit of, like, you're going to have to get used to playing in these ridiculous temperatures and ridiculous humidity, especially the London clubs. Because, I mean, obviously, I don't know how it's been the rest of the country, but London, it's been stupid and really humid. So they're actually starting to get used to it. So when it comes to it, they're not going to be, you know, the pasty vampires suddenly playing in the middle of the desert. For me, the worst side effect of climate change would be England winning the World Cup. (laughs) It's not. There's your title. It's not, <laughs> it's not the world ending. It's that Phil Foden was able to acclimatise himself with thirty odd degree temperatures so that he can deliver in Qatar. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>